Hello, welcome to Comic Connoisseurs. This is your host, Ben, and uh, uh, this is episode one, where we're going to go through a regular format where we talk about upcoming comics, and then we will have a discussion, an in-depth discussion about a, the show topic itself. Uh, this, Like I said, this is your host, Ben, and joining me is JT from Saskatoon. Good evening to you, sir. All right. So here we are. We are looking at the solicitations for the next week, and... Uh, Let's see here. Uh, has DC done anything really <laughs> noteworthy lately? Because ma- ma- mainly what I'm seeing here from the solicitation is nothing that would really interest me. I mean, I see another Injustice Gods Among Us to, you know, tie-in comic, but I haven't heard any good things about that. Um, the, game w- the, the game was great, but uh, the tie-in comic to keep it going this long is just kind of they're you've milked the cow enough you gotta let it rest it's it's like they blew their load already what are you doing exactly like you, you just dust ain't gonna come out after that man just saying no like i read the first <laughs> i read the first couple issues of that and i was like you know i had i had a very overwhelming meh response about the same response i had to the uh dc universe online comic Oh, that my my skin crawled in three different shades of oh my god. But uh, no, I mean right now, I I mean aside from the Forever Evil crossover stuff and the lights out and the crossover and the Green Lantern titles, there isn't really anything big going on in the DC universe. I mean, looking at the solicits for DC, the only two that really pop out at me. Or actually, the only three because I, I recently started picking this up again was uh, All Star Western, mm. which which is the Jonah Hex comic, and they're doing I guess the new Fifty Two take on the eighties Hex comic, which was eighteen hundreds cowboy in kind of a post apocalyptic Blade Runner esque future, and they're not going so far in the future. This it's they basically brought Jonah Hex from old West Gotham, you know, back in the day to modern day Gotham, which I've been enjoying that it's, you know, it's, I enjoy the fish out of water time travel stories like that. And Jonah Hex, like the, the, the sci-fi Hex comic in the eighties, that was my first exposure to Jonah Hex versus a lot of other people's first exposure, which is that God awful movie that shall not be named. My first exposure actually was, uh, was some of the old Western Jonah Hex's comics, you know, it's a, it's a very interesting story. You know, he's 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 uh, he's a bounty hunter that used to be a uh, a Civil War soldier, and uh, he fought for the South, I think. Yes, he did. Yeah, you know, he had a scarred face, and he. Uh, and that was like one of the cool things. Like when when I later on when I got into reading like the original Jonah Hex, like the real Jonah Hex, and even some of the Vertigo titles that came out in the nineties, like you know, Riders of the Worm and such like that. Uh, when he found it his origin that, you know, he had befriended this tribe of uh, native of Indians. And I forget exactly uh, what, you know, what nation they were from. And then something happens where they blame him for the death of their chief's son. And he gets his scar that they basically superheated a tomahawk in a fire and they just pressed it to his face. And yeah, you know, that, you know that's the whole thing. And to take a character, I mean, just you look at how he's shown up in animation, which is another thing you're a fan of. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, part of this has to do with the fact that Bruce Timm controlled DC Animation for a de- for over a decade, and he 
is a big Jonah Hex fanboy. Yeah. And, now, and who the, voiced Jonah Hex in the the TAS episode? Who voiced him in the TAS episode? That is a great question, but I do know that in the uh, in the showcase short, he was voiced by Thomas Jane, who also lobbied hard for to DC to play the live action Jonah Hex until he read the script. Yeah. And then and he the, wisely, Josh Brolin, you need work, right? <laughs> the the funny thing is is honestly, if you carve the serial numbers off of Unforgiven and tweak a few things here and there, you got you got a Jonah Hex movie. Uh, you could also use uh, the outlaw Josie Wales. Well, that's true. You know, it's uh, do some tweaking the Tombstone, and you got something. Uh, Quick and the Dead. Yeah. The, the the point of the story I'm trying to tell is, you know, the Dollar Trilogy. You know, just a couple of moves of here and there. It's, the point of the story is is Jonah Hex is is a Western character, and you really can't fuck up the the uh, chemistry until you have him talk to the dead and have machine guns just, strapped uh, to a horse. Yeah, as, as far as the weapons go in that movie, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll grant you the Gatling guns on the horse, but you gotta admit, the dynamite gun was kind of cool. Just a little bit. Uh, Just a little. It's, let me put it this way. Have you ever played Red, Red, Red Dead? Not for a while. Okay, the original Red Dead was this game about, was this over-the-top Western game where it was, where you, you had fancy super fancy weird weapons like the dynamite gun that was in the Jonah Hex movie and it was just over the top and then Red Dead Redemption came out and it's like okay we're going to turn this into a clean clean eastwood western yeah and that's <sighs> what that's what I keep thinking is is you know I think you say Jonah Hex and I think Clint Eastwood western but let's go let's go on with these uh, solicitations how was the new Catwoman series reading for you I've never read that series. I read the first issue, and it's not that I'm a prude or anything. I just... Did you need to end it in the middle, like, end that first issue with the sexy time? That's all I'm asking. Was, was that absolutely necessary? Well, that's how they got this issue, too. <laughs> well, uh, and this is true. I mean, this is very true. But, no, it's... Uh, I, I read, like, a lot of the 52. Like, I just kind of spent, like, an afternoon... The comic store I go to here in Saskatoon is just, you know, as long as I'm not in the way of people, you know, have fun. I went through a bunch of the new 52s, and that was when I was just like, eh. I, I think that was one of the ones that I had a very strong meh aspect to. Mm. I just I just didn't care. I mean, looking on the solicits here, the only other two titles that really pop out to me, I mean, I kind of get the, uh, like, I've been digging what they've been doing with the Aquaman uh how they're you know they're, they're, the mythology in that is actually what they've done with that story is pretty good. How in the last issue they revealed that Aquaman's descendants aren't the true, like he's not the actual true king of Atlantis. So they kind of throw that on its head. Uh, stuff like the what they're doing in the new Flash comic is. Uh, well, well, let me like let me let me take this uh, point. You know, you mentioned the Flash is. Is I'm just going to say this, and we're, this is going to be a topic of a future episode. I never, never agreed with the whole concept of the Flashpoint paradox, and I'll tell you why. There was a comic that uh, that was done in the in like the early aughts uh, when Kyle Rayner was Green Lantern, and uh, the story was right after the Ion storyline, 
where mm-hmm. Kyle Rayner took the power of Ion and then released it to recreate the Green Lantern Corps. And uh, what uh, what uh, what uh, the point of this was like a couple of issues later, uh, Kyle Rayner had a gay friend who was uh, brutally beaten by uh, by some guys, and uh, and Kyle went to uh, Wally West, the Flash, and asked him if if they could use the cosmic treadmill to uh to go back just one day and stop this from happening and uh batman was in the room and batman said something very profound saying kyle everyone has that one day and you know coming from the dark knight that's something and i mean you think he hadn't considered that and that's that's the thing and then all of a sudden they have you know flashpoint paradox barry allen decides to just save his mother you know, that's the that's the thing. It's it's the most selfish decision that could be made. Well, and, even in the, uh, I don't know if the the Reverse Flash said that in the comic books. I know in the animated movie, you know, it's like you didn't go back and keep Hitler in art school. You saved your mommy. And it's, it's like yeah. And, and like I said, that's such a betrayal because the, the, there was already discussions about this where. Where it, it it wasn't going back twenty years or thirty years to save someone who's been dead for decades. This is going going back one day to save your friend from being beaten by a bunch of rednecks, and even that's off limits. And Batman outright says no, because you know we we, we can't just go around being gods like that. Yeah, and and. You know, everyone has that one day. Even in real life, everyone has that one day. And I think that that is the important takeaway on this. And for one of the superheroes that, you know, the the new, you know, the the current DC regime tout as the most moral and greatest foundations of superherodom, uh, Barry Allen, that's what they say. Not me. That's what they say. Makes yeah. such a selfish decision to create this Flashpoint Paradox bullshit thing just pisses me off but uh, let's move on to uh to uh further on in this list well uh, i did i did see one back in dark horse uh, that i immensely kind of enjoyed just the plot of the first issue okay was was kiss me satan okay what's it's, the plot the plot is a one of the fallen angels that uh you know rebelled against god and was cast out of heaven once it was the only one this guy named barnabas black is the only one that seeks redemption and to earn his way back into heaven so he basically works as a hitman for heaven and he is charged in his new mission he is charged to protect these four witches who have discovered this uh secret about a werewolf clan's newest like newest pup about to be born it's not the father's kid and the kid is supposed to be like the next in the line for the throne so the werewolf kills the one guy that's going to report this to all the other werewolf, uh, what do you call them, packs, and then he orders a hit out on the four witches, and that's where Barnabas comes in. So it's like this crazy, over-the-top kind of grindhouse story with witches, werewolves, vampire assassins, you know, de- de- demons trying to earn their way back into heaven. And it's just something just like, you know what? Yes, yes, yes. I love over the top stories like that. Like it's 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 like a standard action movie, you know, the hero seeking redemption, he's got to protect these women and you know, you got like the mob boss except the mob boss in this case uh, turns into a giant lycanthrope. 
<laughs> and it's just one of those over the top things. Like I've really gotten back into Dark Horse recently with a couple of titles, like Kiss Me Satan. There's this other one that came out a couple weeks ago called Grindhouse uh, Theater. I think it's Theater opens at midnight, and it's basically a ongoing series of basically Grindhouse style stories told in like two or three issue arcs. And, and the initial one is uh, Bee, Vix- Bee Vixens from Mars, mm. where this mutant bees from the red planet descend on this small southern town and start taking over everything. And the only one that really has a clue of what's going on is this uh, middle-aged, one-eyed sheriff's deputy, and it's a woman who's also a complete – it's basically a female snake Pliskin. Versus a bunch of mutant bee women from outer space. And what was the other one? Uh, something. Resident Alien. Have you ever heard of this one? I have not. Uh, Resident Alien tells the story of this uh, guy named Harry. Harry is a alien from outer space who is residing in this town. I think it's in Washington State. I don't have the trade near me that I can check. And he crash landed on Earth like four or five years ago. And he's assumed the identity of this... Uh, old doctor who is like kind of living a hermit-like existence out near this lake and he gets roped into investigating or helping out with this murder investigation in this small town that near where he lives and no one knows that harry is an alien he's got this mind whammy that makes everyone see him as a normal human being but when he really looks like uh, a six foot tall gray alien with spock ears mm. and the cool thing about harry is uh you know, he's taught himself English. He just lives, fishes on the lake, waiting for his people to show up to pick him up. He is an avid fan of detective noir fiction. Mm. So the fact that he's all into this and he's got this natural inquisitive nature lends him and the fact that he's also got medical experience from, you know, I guess he was a doctor in his alien society. Uh, you know, yeah, he was the one that was uh, doing the anal probing. Well, or the ones that he was doing it for the right reasons, but uh, he gets roped into this mystery, and his uh, he also kind of takes over the uh, the doctor or the clinic in town because the doctor they had recently quit, and his uh, one of his nurses is this Native American girl who has like this uh, she's kind of got like a low level telepathy or something that she can see through Harry's mind whammy, and they end up teaming up and you know just she becomes his gal Friday and Harry becomes a more or less a sleuth and detective, you know, to uncover the, you know, who killed this woman. So it's, it, that is a really cool story. Cause I mean, yeah, it's got these sci-fi elements, but it's more primarily a detective fiction. Hmm. So, so let's take know. a look at the, uh, let's see here further on the list. Uh, funny thing is in uh, two weeks is is uh, issue two of the Star Wars. Oh, yes. You know what? I read the first couple issues of that, and I, I'm going to get the whole thing because I want to see where this goes, but my... I, I read the screenplay. You're not going to like this. Well, let me ask you quick first. Uh, having read the screenplay, does it scream Flash Gordon to you? No, it just screams. Okay. No, no, you, you you don't understand. It's when, when people keep on saying something happened to George Lucas between no, no, no. George Lucas has always been the same. When you read the Adventures of Kane, Star Killer, and uh, and you know 
Han Solo is is a is a frog man and oh god it's 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 so, so you're saying is the anthropomorphic anthropomorphic space aliens have always been there I'm saying the camp has always been there yeah the camp was strong with this one oh god so let's see IDW is publishing other people's uh, you know licenses of course, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Who, uh, G.I. Joe, Judge Dredd, um, Samurai Jack, uh, TMNT, uh, X-Files. Under Agents. And, uh, yeah, it's this is just, uh, never heard of, yeah, yeah, this is just such a weird thing. I mean, Image still doing Walking Dead, and uh, I sort of gave up on Walking Dead. You know, it's, uh, it's a Kirkman or Kirkland? Kirkman. Okay, Kirkman. Kirk Kirkland is another guy. Okay. Kirkman. Kirkman. Okay. I like your other work, Kirkman. Just stop doing zombie stuff. I mean, it's because you're dragging it on. I mean, the whole thing with the whenever Romero does it is like it it it, it begins and it ends and it ends and it's and everyone's dead. You do it and it's like it begins and it doesn't end and people sort of die very slowly and you just keep on teasing it out. Yeah. It's, you know, just let it go. Okay. Let's talk about Marvel. Well, one thing I want to ask you before we leave image comics, did you ever read cowboy ninja Viking? No. Okay. Here's the plot. Uh, There's a government program that finds people with multiple personality syndrome and they somehow, train each individual personality with a specific skill set okay i can i can i can dig it so there's the main guy is the cowboy viking ninja or or cowboy ninja viking sorry is the proper thing then there's a guy who's a deep sea diver a roman gladiator and a cat burglar okay basically you think of any other uh like trifecta of you would never see these three together at one time and well, they're together all the time. Unfortunately, so uh, is there? Do they happen to have a Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? There's somebody that comes very close to that. But <laughs> I, I know where you're going with that, but no, there, there honestly is somebody uh, very close to that. There's somebody that was like a spy, an explosive expert, and a sharpshooter. Mm. So, and it was a really cool story, and uh, it's on hold slash canceled right now. Uh, because the artist uh, Riley Rossmo is actually from here in Saskatoon originally. Uh, you know, he's he's done other things. He's done The Green Wake, and I forget what other series he's working on right now. But uh, there's room there. I, I've spoken to him a couple of times when he was still here in town before he moved uh, away. Uh, he said someday he does want to go back to that, and I hope he does because that was a really cool story. Because it it treats the characters like obviously it's people with multiple personality disorder. You know, it's probably tough for these people to like live their lives and they they actually they don't just treat them like oh we're just complete badasses no they deal with these people that they have a problem it's just this is how they've chosen to kind of manage it so uh, yeah marvel what can i say about marvel well i'm looking over the list right now and uh, all i see is you know just the regular stuff daredevil hulk iron man uh, it's nothing that really catches my eye. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I've been reading Iron Man. I got into Iron Man in Heroes Reborn and Forward. 
So, you know, I've, I'm in for the long haul. And, uh, especially if you got through Heroes Reborn. Yeah, the less said of... Well, I mean, that's an episode in and of itself. Either specifically Heroes Reborn or just alternate, you know, histories of comic characters. But yeah, I mean, there's the only... Like, the only Marvel titles that I get legit excited for right now are uh, Superior Spider-Man and uh, Wolverine and the X-Men. Because I, I can honestly say it's been effing fucking years since I have been legit excited for every issue of an X title. And Wolverine and the X-Men has kind of brought me back to the X universe. Like, I hadn't read it since... I think probably a few issues after they moved to San Francisco, and that was the last time I actively collected X-Men. That was like five or six years ago. Mm. I don't know. Have you read that title? No, I have not. Well, it's Wolverine reopens the... Well, now it's the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. So he basically reopens the X School, and he's Professor X now. Mm. You know, Kitty Pride is vice principal... Beast is the Dean of Science. Uh, the art class is taught by the new, uh, was it Warbird from the Shi'ar? Toad is the janitor. Dupe from X-Force is the receptionist. Uh, what, who else is a the teacher there? What's there a page from uh, like Cannonball's sister with the skin-peeling mutant power? She's a literature teacher, another art teacher, and she's the school lunch lady. And it's just, it's you can read this one X title, and that's the thing with a lot of the X-Men titles. They've finally gotten back to this, but majority of them I just don't care about. I mean, certainly there are certain stories like X-Men Legacy, which focuses on uh, Legion, like Professor Xavier's son with you know multiple personality disorder, except every personality has a superpower. Mm. Uh, you know, that's a cool story in and of itself. It just, you know, I just, it didn't hook me. But something about the fact that Wolverine making his best effort to be Professor Xavier and prepare these kids, you know, for the new world. I, I like that idea versus Cyclops, who's like, no, we must prepare for war because the humans suck. Do you ever consider that maybe you suck, Cyclops? Oh, wait, I just hit the nail on the head. Because <laughs> I, I like Cyclops in like the early 90s stuff, you know, like back when Jim Lee and Chris Claremont were on the title where yeah he might have been had that stiff upper lip and all that, but he was still a good guy. Versus but, screwing up constantly. Well, yeah, it's because, and I blame Emma Frost because, you know, sex changes everything. But no, it's like ever since Jean Grey really died, and I say that with finger quotes that no one can see, it's just, he's one thing after another. We're going to move to San Francisco. They like different things out here. We'll be cool. Oh, crap, let's move to an island that's like two miles offshore. It used to belong to Magneto. Oh, look, the Phoenix is coming back. Surely this will be our salvation. Mm. And he just keeps, he basically keeps failing onward. Not necessarily upward, but onward. And then, you know, just he, he assumes that he, he's got, he's gone down the Magneto route now. You know, just, it's our, we got to prepare for war. That's the only thing that's going to happen. We couldn't, couldn't fathom the possibility of everything working out. So, I don't know, you, is there anything X-Men that you or Marvel that you read at all right now? Not right now. It's nothing really st stands out and grabs me. I think Marvel's having better chance with their with their other media projects versus their comic books right now. Yeah. I I yeah. Well, outside of the movies, it's an extremely subjective 
I, I gotta admit you know, that that uh, Agents of Shield is sort of waning on me. I mean, it's it had a strong start, but it's not getting better. Yeah, I mean, it's not the greatest. But see, see, and I'm certainly in here. We like we all expected this to be like the movies, but then you got to forget it's on a network owned by the House of Mouse. I mean, I, Marvel's owned by the House of Mouse, but. That's true, but I was expecting maybe some C or D or E lister uh, Marvel characters, but so far nothing. Well, aside from the civilian identity of Graviton, and two episodes back, that was about it. Yeah, that was that was weak, though. Yeah, it's I, like... I, was, I, was, I was expecting them to like set up things for future for future movies like you know they have you know shield is going to play heavily in winter soldier so i'll say they're going to like do some stuff with that but nothing well yeah i mean again i usually give any new tv show five episodes especially if it's an hour long format because you know maybe it takes a little while to build and even if it peters out i'll probably still just out of loyalty to the marvel movie franchise and you know, Agent Coulson, who is totally an LMD. <laughs> yes. And that's, or, or, or maybe he's just, if he's not an LMD, I will be extremely surprised. But, you know, Lena, look at the list of for solicitations here for Marvel. One series, like, how, do you enjoy Mark Wade? I love Mark Wade. Then you need to look at the Daredevil tiles, or just the core Daredevil. Uh, series because that one's actually very, very good. That's one of the again with Spider-Man and Wolverine the X-Men. It's the only Marvel title that I get like legit excited for, for new issues, and it's a combination of Mark Wade's writing and Chris Samney's art. Because Mark Mark Wade, like when he is passionate about a subject, you know any title he's written on, it's it's gold in my opinion. And Chris Samney has this kind of animated, like his cart. His art style is very cartoony. Well, actually, his art style—I'm looking at it right now. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's not bad at all. I mean, it's a—it's actually this is exactly who they should be having to draw Daredevil. It's very reminiscent of—it's uh, very reminiscent of uh, Wally Wood, and as everyone knows, Wally Wood is who created the original red costume. Well, yeah, and Wally, mean, uh... Wally Wood is so instrumental to modern daredevil i think he is as important if not more important than frank miller well yeah i mean everyone you say daredevil in the comic books and people practically fall over themselves backwards oh frank miller was such a revelation i was like you know what yeah it was a revelation it was some intensely good comic books back in the day but and who and who do they have ink a couple of those issues wally wood it, like really. like like, yeah, like I said, it's just really funny. People just talk about Frank Miller's Born Again series and 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 other Daredevil series, and and they they forget that that there, there's this whole point where you know Daredevil used to be called a swat <coughs> before Daredevil was a ninja. Daredevil was, a was yeah, it was called a swashbuckling comic, and uh, and uh, and he wore a atrociously ugly yellow and uh, red costume and class uh, like some would call and uh and like i said lots of things that people forget it's like they act like yellow costume and then frank miller no no that's not how it went at all there was there was wally wood wally wood created the red costume created lots of the modern daredevil mythos i mean to to 
ignore Wally Wood's contribution to modern Daredevil is insane. It is actually insane. Well, I, I, and maybe mine's a little more naive. I'd say to, to deny or ignore any creator that's ever been on a long-running series is folly. I mean, honestly, my first Daredevil comics were some tattered back issues from around the San Francisco era of the title, which is something I would very much like to collect someday when I have Make You Stupid money and I could afford that. Because it was in what the late, I'm looking online here, it's like the late 80s issues where Daredevil and the Black Widow moved to San Francisco. I mean, that's what got me into Daredevil was these, whereas in like the mid 70s, you know, it's, it's, he's still in the fully in the swashbuckling mode. And it, that's why I always think of Daredevil as this red suited, you know, he is the other Spider Man of the yes. Marvel Universe. And then what they did to him, like, don't get me wrong, I love the Frank Miller stuff. And then we got to the 90s. <laughs> yep. And then they changed the costume. And should let you know, folks, my one of my suggestions for a future episode is we're going to look at 90s redesigns. Yes. For certain, there are some that were good, there were some that were great, and there's some that should be burned and forgotten about. Like giving Daredevil armor on his knees and elbows. Because yes. he needed those. Well, so like, like I said, it's uh, people... Yeah, I, I just want to give a shout out to to Wally Wood's contribution because, oh, yeah. uh, as some people know or might not know, uh, the guy who taught me everything I know about comics and taught me how to ink worked in the industry, and his mentor was Wally Wood. So I have like a connection, almost like a grandson kind of connection. So it's it's it it's a little bit personal to me, and that that's just why I wanted to bring it up. So let's uh, continue on to the uh, to. Uh, I don't think there's any other solicitations we really need to... Uh... I'm just looking here. I mean, there's Valiant. I mean, the resurrection of Valiant comics was a huge surprise for me. Because mm. I remember reading... Because for those that don't know, you, you look back in the 90s, it was Marvel, DC... Uh, I don't mention Archie comics when listing the big companies because they're just kind of there. Yeah. You know? But it's like Marvel, DC, Image... Dark Horse, and then Valiant was, you know, it was a contender for the longest time. And, I mean, they had some good comics, like, uh, was uh, Exo Man of War, can't believe I almost forgot that, uh, the original run of Archer and Armstrong, which is my current favorite title of Valiant 2, mm. stuff like that, because it's basically, and especially the fact that uh, Fred Van Lente is re reading or writing the current title, it's Hercules... For like Marvel's Hercules teaming up with a teenage assassin, and hilarity ensues. And it's just it's such a basic concept when you say it out loud, but there's so much more to it, especially once you get into the backstory of uh, Armstrong and you know he's been around for like a thousand years, and one of his brothers stuck in time and can see every eventuality, and the other is basically uh, the is like the hitman for the spirit of the earth sort of deal and there's you know what do you call them like the sect which is this, like society of secret societies and aliens and time travel and it's just all this crazy stuff happens but the core of the title is the relationship between this wine-swilling hedonistic immortal and this teenage assassin who was raised in 
well, he was basically raised like the Osmonds. Mm. So, which is a highly, if you've never read Archer and Armstrong, folks, go out, pick it up. It is seriously one of the best comics, like consistently entertaining comics that I've read in the last couple of years. But outside of Valiant, you know, you see, I see Udon Entertainment there, and I'm always on the lookout because I know. Have you ever read any of Udon comics? I have read Udon comics. Yeah. I mean, they're primarily known as being like this, the new art house for Capcom and Street Fighter and a lot of their games. But that's only because so many of the people that work there, like Alvin Lee, like he, he is probably my definitive Street Fighter artist. I, I never really had one before, but I'd have to say he's, you know, it's like once upon a time I said Pat Lee was my definitive Transformers artist, but no relation. And Pat Lee is a douche anyhow. Which, hey, <laughs> the rise and fall of Dreamwave comics. There's another episode waiting to happen. Oh, yes. Well, so, ready to move on to our topic of discussion? Yes. Uh, right now, we're going to have a break, and we'll come back with uh, the main topic. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Like animation? Come listen to Animation Aficionados. And if you disagree with us, you could be a guest on a future show. Available on iTunes the Zoom market and animationaficionados.com Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. I'm Chuck. And I'm Justin. Join the four of us every week on the internet's number one and longest running G.I. Joe podcast, What's on Joe Mind? It's Joe news, reviews, and interviews like you've never heard them before, delivered right to your MP3 player. Our guests include Jason Marsden, Kevin Michael Richardson, and Matt Yang King from G.I. Joe Renegades, Larry Hama, Robert Atkins, and John Barber from IDW Publishing, and many more from around the online Joe community. Yeah, it's guys talking about Joe. Think of it as Joe talk meets sports talk. And we make fun of Chuck. Right, and we pay again. Come on, Chuck. We're just kidding kind of sometimes chuck makes fun of himself right and we okay seriously this is just getting ridiculous now it's what's on joe mind every week on the geek cast radio network inside pulse.com stitcher smart radio and itunes download and listen today i suppose i still can't say something about transformers can i good no what about sports that sounds good that's all right it's action it's drama it's comedy it's Desean, the superhero webcomic. Desean has superhero antics and sexy girls. Catch updates weekly at Desean.com and NoSuperPants.com. And now, back to the show. And we're back for our main discussion. We're just going to do a little bit of a backstory on ourselves and our own history with comics and how we got into comics. Uh, my, my own history, I'll start because, Go ahead. Uh, you know, I, I never, I, you know, it's around 1991, 92. Batman the Animated Series came out, and that's what drove me into comics, because this was like, this is so good. This is so good. I want to see more stuff like this. And and uh, the first comic book I ever bought with my own money was uh, was a collection in the 90s of World's Finest. Uh, I forgot, you know, it, it, this specific World's Finest was an interesting one, because the writer wanted to do something that called upon like the first iterations of these characters, but still using the modern continuity. He wanted to use like the first iteration of Superman and the first iteration of Batman. And obviously he couldn't do that. He had to make some compromises with the editor. He, he wrote about all this in the preface and it was an interesting thing because he, because, you know, Barbara Gordon's in the wheelchair. Uh, uh, Lex Luthor had the robot hand in this one because, uh, because of the kryptonite poisoning it but he was still a fat guy he wasn't 
physically fit yet because the whole the whole uh, Nero thing didn't happen yet, and uh, and other things like that. It's uh, but it was an overall great story because it it's it's about the Joker and uh, and uh, Lex Luthor teaming up, and uh, Batman and Superman decide to trade cities for a while. It was it was an interesting story. The art was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous in this world's finest. I bought it as it was a hardcover. It was amazing, and and I wanted more stuff like that. And I was very disappointed when I found out that stuff that good with that much care from the creators was actually rare. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it took me a while. I was sort of moping around, looking at other things, trying to find something that that piqued my interest. And and I found stuff like you know. Whenever Dan Jurgens wrote something, I was interested. Whenever uh, Chuck Dixon wrote something, I was interested. You know, it's it's those '90s writers, Mark Wade especially. I, lo- I love Mark Wade, and you know, it's these these '90s writers that 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 put the foundation of what I love to read. You know, that everyone seems to forsake now. It's it's that that's what draws me. You know, and uh, I heard you were typing earlier. Were you looking at that world's finest trade I was talking about? Uh, no, I was uh, just looking up uh, something on. Uh, I was trying to find the artist for the one of the earliest comics. I it was a world, issue of World's Finest. I just couldn't find the artist. Ah, but uh, what uh, do you remember? What the trade was called? It was just called World's Finest. It was it was a hardcover trade as well. Hold on one second. I'll pull it out of my long box. Ooh, he's got the long box handy. One second. Yep. No, I mean, huge collections. Man, I remember what I used to own. It saddens me that I had to get rid of some of that stuff. Ah, Dave Gibbons. No wonder it's so damn good. Oh, duh. Gibbons, Gibbons Rude Kessel. Oh, it's that newer collection of World's Finest. Okay, no, I was thinking of the original. I have that somewhere, man. Buried, of course, but... Yeah, no, I remember that one. That's the one that's got uh, art from like, yeah, Steve Rude, Carl Kessel, and all that. Yeah, that was that was that was the shit, man. Like, and, wow. And I remember reading the preface because because Gibbons wrote in detail about how he really wanted to like bring the first iteration of these characters out as one story. Yeah. And uh, no, it's man, I haven't read that in so long. <laughs> Like I said, that was the first comic book I ever bought with my own money, and uh... no, that that is a gem, man, right there. Wow, I haven't read that in forever. No, I remember the f- the earliest comic that I think I honestly can't remember the first comic I ever bought with my own money. I'm uh, it's a shot in the dark. It was either it was probably either an issue of Transformers from the original Marvel run or an issue of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Adventures from Archie. And I'm willing to bet it was probably the Ninja Turtles and probably one of the very, the early issues of the comic when they were still just doing like translations of uh, episodes. But yes. I just remember getting like growing up. I mean, my dad, like over, uh, I grew up on a farm you know, my dad and my grandpa were grain farmers for many years. And, you know, I'd go over to my grandma's place all across, right across the road. 
you know, help out, you know, cleaning, vacuuming, such like that. And I remember when I was like seven or eight, I found these big paper bags full of old comic books that my dad had growing up. And and this, we grew up, we were like an hour away from the city of Yorkton, Saskatchewan, which actually was referenced in an early issue of the Fantastic Four title that started after Heroes Reborn. Oddly enough, written, I think that was, I think that was Chris Claremont doing the writing and Salva- Salvador LaRocca did the art. But, uh, and then, cause I speak, cause he got, my dad got them at like the, you know, the drug stores and all that, like, you know, shoppers and price watchers and all that. And it was where they used to stamp right on the cover where, you know, back in the day for whatever reason. And there was stuff like, you know, two gun kid, kid Colt, uh, the Superman family, Batman family, like some old DC hundred page giants, you know, the occasional Archie, some Richie rich, just like this classic old school comics that I've just grown to love as time gone on. And I would raid that whenever I could, you know, just read some, sit there in the basement, you know, got the radio on, just sitting there and just like, that is probably the purest entertainment I've ever had is just sitting there and reading these comics. And there were some stinkers like this one Batman family issue where Bruce Wayne went to a family castle in Scotland and had to fight against these zombified teenagers who were being infected by these birds and it was something from the early seventies that I still haven't been able to figure <laughs> out. Uh, and then from there, I would, you know, my grandma, Sylvia, who in my hometown of McNutt, you know, she had like these, this epically huge, at least as a kid, you know, this epically huge box. And it was just full of Archie and Richie rich, you know, the old, uh, was it Harvey comics? Yes. Yeah. Stuff like that. And my dad, my mom, and my dad just fed me comics as I had grown up. Like my dad would play in a fastball league uh, in this other, like we lived like close to two different small towns and he would go into this one town Calder and he played for the Calder Comets and he would go to the general store, uh, or grocery store, general store before the game. And the guys that ran the store there, they would, I, I don't know if this was probably not illegal. They would take like 25 comics and they would order for a small town in the middle of Saskatchewan. This is insane. They would order like 50 copies of whatever issues of Spider-Man and Justice League. They would put 25 comics together, rip the front covers off, send that shit back and get some money on the end. They would bundle them up with string and sell 25 comics for like three bucks. Wow. And my dad would usually go in and grab me. And this is one of my fondest childhood memories, you know, before I learned to get out of the car and hang out with the other kids and watch my dad play ball. Uh, I would sit in the backseat of my dad's old, uh, that wasn't a station where he was uh, Oldsmobile bottle of Coke and the old school glass bottles, <laughs> uh, old Dutch ketchup chips and two or three st- stacks of these comics. And I was in fucking heaven. I'm actually flipping through this world's finest right now while you're talking. Yeah. And, uh, the one moment I remember in this comic that stuck with me was, uh, was near the end, uh, Superman gives Batman a Christmas present because it's around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And the Christmas present is, we got to remember this comic's from the 90s, is oh, a yeah. VHS tape of Zorro. And and uh, Superman says, Thon might be your kind of thing. Perhaps you've seen it. And Batman just looks at it and says, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> oh, man. 
No, I remember like these comics. I I read some stinkers too back in the days. I remember being as a kid being absolutely obsessed with this DC sci-fi comic called Spanner's Galaxy, mm. which was I I don't remember a lot of it except for the fact that the main hero, this guy named Spanner, had a mental superpower that let him castle uh, cargo from one spot of the galaxy to another. And I just thought, well, that's cool. He uses the power of his mind to move shit across galaxies. And there was the odd tie-in comic. Like, I remember this comic I got in one pile was called Mantech. And it was based on these toys that were, like, He-Man-sized toys, but you could, like, pull the arms off and stick the legs in the sockets, put the arms down there. And they were basically cyborgs that you could, like, you know, convert into, like, absolutely obscene configurations. But that was part of the fun. And they had a tie-in comic from, I think, DC. I remember growing up absolutely loving the Star comics that Marvel put out. Because that's where I got like my He-Man, my Thundercats, stuff like that. And, and as I grew up, I got more and more into comics. And I never really got into collecting, like really, like finding, like it wasn't like I was buying everything I read. I finally, after my dad, oddly enough, kind of kicked this off for me, where to this day, we still have like two or three copies of the white bagged with the red bloody S on the front issues of adventures of Superman 500. Oh, wow. And we still have the individual, like the die cut, uh, fold out, like fold out covers for the, you know, the initial debuts of like, you know, the eradicator, the cyborg Superman steel and Superboy. you know, we still got those in a long box. My mom's gone back home on the farm and that's, Honestly, the 90s in a lot of ways for me was my silver age of comics. Same, same with me. Exactly the same thing with me because people are like, oh, it's too dark. It's too gritty. But the thing is when you have writers like Gibbons and and, uh, and Jurgens and Wade and Kessel and it, it's really not as rude as you – it's really not as dark as people say it is. I mean – Well, yeah. I mean there was darkness, but it's – I mean when you look it was at with the, perp It was with purpose though. Exactly. And it's – when you look at the actual Silver Age in the 60s versus the modern age in the 90s, there is a lot of similarities. I mean it was a great time of reinvention. Like in the 60s, there's a lot of you know stuff like the Kyle Rayner – Green Lantern, Wally West, Flash kind of coming into their own and, you know, another do-over for DC. There's, like Marvel and DC in the 60s, there were dozens of new characters and extremely short-lived series that were put out and some people still remember fondly to this day. You know, Absolutely. It's, you know, it's stuff like when, uh, I th- I don't know if it was Jeff Johns was, you know, it was, J- it was just JSA and I think Jeff Johns was writing it. Uh, it, technically, technically not Jeff Johns writing it. Okay, well, it, it was in the JSA title before it got rebooted into Justice Society, and this is all pre-New Fifty Two, folks. And I will always speak fondly of pre-New Fifty Two. Anything past that, and I will start swearing. But uh, in the one issue of JSA, like there, I remember seeing it was a story. I forget the name of the storyline. It was uh, this character named Roulette. Mm. kidnaps a number of the ju- a few members of the justice society and throws them into like this uh gladiatorial arena and it's like very underground hush hush you know the richest of the rich can afford it and there's like this wall of fallen heroes and there are characters on there 
that I, I remember reading comics with them in like the 80s and early 90s and hadn't thought of them since then. I mean, there was stuff of like this guy named like, uh, I think it was like Gorgon or Triton or something. He was like uh, empowered by uh, Prometheum, which is the adamantium of the DC universe. And he was like an enemy of like the te- the new Teen Titans mm. back in the day because uh, he was basically uh, – Directed by Steve Dayton, who is Beast Boy's adopted dad, who went nutty, and with the name Mento, how could you not expect him to go insane? Well, well, at least it wasn't Memento, and he it just gave his wife too much insulin. Yeah. Oh, what else? I see stuff like. Uh, but but speak, speaking of which, that actually ties into what I was saying earlier. It was actually David Goyer who did the bulk of JSA. That's yes, right. that David Goyer. God, what happened? He had so much promise, so much talent. Hey, let's make Dominic Purcell Dracula and have him turn into some horned lizard demon thing. I'm sorry, I did not like Brilliant Trinity. I but but Do- Goyer did the Dark Knight trilogy, so he redeemed himself again. Yes. Well, you have your ups and your downs, your peaks and valleys. But, it, I mean, <laughs> it's just, uh, just so many guys that... And and that's the thing. Uh, this is going to be a topic show in and of itself. Uh, but I'm tired of people shitting on the '90s, especially especially people that they were like, "We want our Silver Age back." No, it has to be Hal Jordan. No, it has to be our Hal Jordans and our Barry Allens's, and it has to be, has to be. It's like, it's like the the, the thing is when you do that, you're shitting on someone else's dream. You're shitting on someone else's memory, and you have to learn that you know when something you love was is that far removed now and something else other people love is, is been around and been established. You got to just go with it versus going, Oh, we're taking it away. Okay. We're going to give you some of your things back, but not all of it the way you want it because we want to have Barbara Gordon to be Batgirl again. We don't care about Cassandra. Oh, okay. People want Cassandra Kane back. I guess we'll call her like a shadow bat or something. I don't care. You know, they'll, they'll just shut them up. It, it, it's it's shit like that that pisses me off because it's it's like they don't understand that the people who have been keeping them alive in the nineties are who they should cater to, and that that that's so short sighted because because that's it, it, it infuriates me. I I love and another character that I grew up with and absolutely loved was the way Carl Kessel and uh, Tom Grummet handled Superboy Con L. He is my favorite superhero character. He is, you know, because number one, Tom Grummet has this amazing, gorgeous art style that's like the dynamicness of Jack Kirby meets the the gorgeousness of Kurt Swan. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like I've never seen an artist able to marry two art styles that just aren't that compatible before. And you know that you know I love Kurt Swan and I love Jack Kirby, but honestly, their art styles are incompatible. And then here's this guy who says, "I'm going to marry him," and he does it, and he does it beautifully. Oh yeah, no, uh, actually, oddly enough, Tom Grummet lives here in Saskatoon. Mm. I see him every free comic book day at Eighth uh, Street Books and Comics, which is the store I've been going to for you know nigh on almost twelve years. It'll be twelve years next. Uh, Next, next April. Next time you see him, get him on an episode. Uh, that's. I tried to get him on my uh, my podcast that I had uh, a couple of years ago, Authentic Geek, and well, that never happened. 
he's just not we he he's just not one to do something like that. He said. I I, under, I understand. And I, I, I was bummed out, but just the fact that I am talking to, like I'm I'm gonna fanboy gush, you know, whoop whoop fanboyism. This okay. man is my in my top five my top five all-time favorite comic book artists in no particular order. I know. Uh, John Romita Sr. And I would almost grandfather in Junior because I'm a huge fan of John Romita Jr.'s art. Well, I got to be honest with you. Senior kicks Junior's ass. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, there's something because I came into Spider-Man or into Romita's art in the course of reading Spider-Man I mean, I've read my Sp- Spider-Man my entire life, but I really only really got into his art during the Clone Saga. And we the less said about that, the better. But so John Romita Jr., uh, Ditko, no more need be said. Uh, God, I can't remember his name. He did uh, Batman and the Outsiders originally. Uh, what other titles has he done? Well, he's done Batman and the Outsiders... Oh God! It's it's Jim something. I can't remember it right now. I go. Steranko? No, I love Steranko, uh, but he's not. He's not in my top ones. Just give me a second. I'm gonna find this out because it'll bug me. Uh, there is uh, Tom Grummet. Uh, obviously. Obviously, uh, Jim Lee. I mean, Jim Lee has this very detail, detail, detail-oriented style, but at the same time, it's not so detailed that it doesn't flow like the there problem is a... i have a problem with jim lee's art style though is it it seems very plastic and mannequin-esque it, it doesn't seem to have life in it it's uh one of my favorite artists is amanda connor because every time she draws something you tell she you can tell she's putting some character into it and jim lee uh, it's like it feels it, it feels too sterilized in art style sometimes i'm gonna say sometimes because yeah, there is a lot of examples of that but there's sometimes it just works like the batman hush arc that he did with jeff loeb now say what you will about jeff loeb and i know you're not the biggest fan of him but i think jim lee's art was really on in that story you know other things sure maybe not so much but it's jim aparo who hmm. did uh, the original? He did the. He was the original artist on Batman: The Outsiders for the longest time, and he was. You read read some of my favorite Batman stories throughout the '80s and into the '90s, and it's he. It's just some that it, it was always there for me as a kid, so it's kind of got that uh, comfort food kind of aesthetic for me. Hmm. I mean, and of course, all time favorite artist bar freaking none is the King, Jack Kirby. Absolutely. There is something about his art style. Now, I got a friend of mine who he craps all over the original Mighty Thor comic stories, not because of the art, because he was like, oh, Stanley was so uncreative and he ripped off, you know, mythology. And it's like, well, uh, I, I knew a guy like that who's like, I, you know, they copyrighted Norse mythology. Ooh, derp, derp, derp. It's like, <laughs> there, it's been done for nigh on ever. But, uh, no, like, Jack Kirby has this, if it had been any other artist, specifically the young, like, the Mighty Thor, the young glory days of Marvel Comics, anything he worked on turned to gold eventually. But specifically Thor, there was something about his art and the power that evokes from that art that made you believe that Thor 
and Lady Sith and the Warriors Three were going to war against Loki and Surtur. You know, something about seeing him, Thor, swinging Molnir above his head and yelling for Asgard that you just want to just pump your fist into the air. There is nothing but energy that comes out of this man's artwork. And right when I was really getting into comics in the early 90s and forming that list of people I want to meet someday, he was up there. And I was really, I wasn't like devastated because I hadn't really, like I loved his art and I knew I always wanted to meet him. But then, you know, I read that he died. So it's that, that missed opportunity, but I know, and so many people honored him the right way, like uh, like Grummet. Uh, yeah, and also and also Bruce Tim and Paul Dini did in in Superman the animated series. Well, let's see throughout. Well, yeah, from Superman on because and uh, another in, the, in, in one of my in one of my favorite uh, was uh, was Mirage Comics. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Laird and uh, and Eastman did a special comic book issue of uh, where. Uh, where Donatello teams up with Jack Kirby to save Asgard that from... That was actually a comic? That was a comic book first, Cause, yes. Because uh, I saw that episode in the 2003 yes. Ninja Turtles series. I didn't know that was an actual... Like, I knew it was a tribute to Kirby, but I didn't know that was an actual comic book. That was a real comic book. Wow. I'm going to have to find that sucker. <laughs> yeah, Eastman and Laird did that. It, it, was, it was their art and everything. Wow. But yeah, I mean that just proves that you know the, the, the only people Jack, the only people who really shit on Jack Kirby is like uh, Neil Adams. Neil Adams shits on Jack Kirby. Uh, these are stories I heard from people that knew both these people in real life. Okay, yeah, no, I, I'm not saying it's really, but yeah, explain. My, I want to hear this one. Well, you, you know who my mentor was, right? I know you told me before, but the name escapes me at the moment. Okay, okay. It's it, it's not important to this story. I'll tell you off the air. Uh, but my mentor did work for Marvel Comics back then. He inked Spider-Man, among other comics back then. And he knew Jack Kirby, Wally Wood, uh, uh, you know, Neil Adams, and, uh, you know, Larry Hama. He has some Larry Hama stories, let me tell you. But uh, that's beside this point. It's... Uh, but but yeah it's yeah Neil Adams was 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 this cocky guy that young guy that came in and, and was like I don't have anything to learn from the old from these old guys and stuff. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah. But no, it's it's yeah. So I mean, the, that the Tom Grummet. I mean, the first I embarrassed myself, and yes, I'm going to get the embarrassing story out of the way. Uh, the first free comic, every free comic book day, you, you pay a few bucks and he'll do you a sketch. Mm-hmm. And I asked him to draw a Ninja Turtle. Oh, no. I was meeting one of my heroes for the first time and I just lost control. And for a number of years afterwards, and it's all good natured ribbing on the part of Tom, who this dude is, you know, to uh, borrow a phrase, he's a mensch. Like, the, this dude is the salt of the earth. I couldn't hate this guy if I tried. Uh, Tom and Pat, the store owner, they would just, every freak guy, so, John, you're going to get a Ninja Turtle this year? How about Michelangelo? And I was like, eh. <laughs> Why'd you ask for a Ninja Turtle? He never drew Ninja Turtle. It was Tom fucking Gromit. I was meeting one of my heroes. <laughs> and I lost all sense of control. <laughs> Which one did he draw you? 
he didn't draw me anything. I got so embarrassed I just left the store. Uh, the, the, the God's honest truth. I left the store. I came back a while later. I got some free comic book day stuff, and, and then I went home because I was just like, "Oh God, what have I done?" <laughs> and you know, and and years afterwards, like I've always been there on free comic book day, but I haven't always had money to get sketches. And I've got the the th- actually in the ten years that I've been going, more or less, I've only gotten uh, four sketches from Tom. I got a uh, the first one I ever got from him was the just a headshot of the classic uh, horns Iron Man costume with like the rivets on the face and all that. Yes, uh, I got that. Uh, the next one I got is the Spider Man Peter Parker half and half face. Oh, for, just, for the, the spider sense going off. Yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of Peter, kind of cr- the from the angle, it's like he's kind of just looking to the left and kind of crouched over a little bit and you get the half and half. Uh, I got uh, Wolverine popping his, I got Swiss army claw Wolverine. Uh, and he's like, so what do you want, John? And I was like, I was thinking of getting a Swiss army claw Wolverine. And he's like, yeah. And, and you just saw Tom's face when he, I said that his face just kind of lit up. He's it, like, okay, now we're talking. So I got a corkscrew, a pair of scissors and a spork and he draws this look on Wolverine's face with, like, can you believe this shit? And then he writes a speech balloon that says, well, dang. Well, my, you know, if I ever got a, free, a, a sketch from him, I would ask for Superboy. I would ask for Connell Superboy with the jacket and the red pants. I don't care. That's I want to see him draw Superboy one more time. Uh, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep that in mind because the last one I got from him uh, the, last year was uh, Adam West Batman digging for the keys for the Batmobile in his utility belt. Okay. And next year, I want to get... Uh, I'm going to save his... Because this would probably be like a 50 or $60 deal. I want to get uh, Ghost Rider with the flames out, with his arms crossed, glaring at Deadpool, who's holding a fire extinguisher. <laughs> and just have Deadpool with this, like... Nah, or it's like meh 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 like just I would I would on. I would rather I would I would I would I would rather have uh, Deadpool and and Ghost Rider torturing Nicolas Cage and uh, Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that would be good. I don't know if I could afford that one, but that would be awesome. That's the other thing. Uh, Tom always brings like uh, like the what the black and white sketches, like the prefab pages before he mails them off to. Marvel or DC, uh, I don't know the proper term for those. You mean though? You mean those special pages with the guides on them already? Well, yeah, yeah. Those like, those are those are blue line pages. Yeah, he's got like the blue line pages with like it's finished pencil art, sometimes inked art from like comics that he's done from like there's stuff from like Superboy and X Men back in the nineties to whatever the latest. Thing I, like, I got I got I got to be honest with you. Not everybody in the industry likes them. Likes oh, to work yeah. on them. It's uh, I'm, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you a couple of industry secrets that uh, that I heard from my mentor. Uh, and and these are things I've I tried those pages for. I just don't like them either. They don't take ink very well from a brush. And I was taught the ink with a brush. I always preferred a smooth Bristol board. Mm-hmm. And uh, I found smooth Bristol board was the best for for me. And uh, uh, Steve Ditko loved. Uh, you know, Steve Ditko, he was a penciler, so he didn't have to deal with things. He, Steve Ditko loved those, uh, those, uh, those, 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 those uh, blue lines because he drew everything 
yeah, at least for a couple of years in his career, he drew everything in blue pencil, and he loved drawing in blue pencil. And uh, but but you know, I, Wally Wood had a discussion with him about this once, and Wally Wood is an inker, and Wally Wood said, but but those the, but those blue lines just don't take up ink very well. But and and it goes like, well, that's not my problem because I just pencil. Yeah, no, it's uh, I and I love looking through those things, even though I can never afford what Tom is asking for those. But yeah, it's just with comic books like music. Cause I did uh, like Mike Blanchard who's a friend of the show. I guess we could say, you know, I did this. Oswald. Uh, uh, we're we're going to talk about uh, <laughs> voice actors in comic book shows someday, but uh, we did, uh, was it last year on his core show, geek cast radio, we did this like music spotlight thing. And, I was on the episode talking about stuff in the 90s, like top 10 90s music accent. And comic books, like music for me, especially in high school, was that sort of thing that I went to. Like, I went to a dark place. It wasn't like, you know, I was ready to slit my wrists or anything. It's just I'm overweight and I don't always keep my geekiness under control and I got picked on. I got bullied a lot. And music and comic books were those things that were always there to, you know, keep me together, more or less. And that's why I love comics so much. Like, it's that escape. It's that going to someplace else and forgetting about your troubles and everything for just a little while. And I find it really hard to articulate why I like comics some days just because I love them so much. Like literally like you, I can't decide for two reasons out of the hundreds of reasons why I like comics. And that's like, it was kind of that saving grace back when I needed stuff like that. And I mean, to go forward and just read, uh, like just keep reading through the years and it's not so much that anymore, but that's one of the main reasons why I like comics is, is that escape hatch. Cause everybody needs something like that. Absolutely. And, and again, like you even look at like there was to go back to Tom Grummet to gush just a little bit more. His art, it like Jack Kirby's, that's like when I read a comic with his art in it, I could care less about what's going on in my life. It's Absolutely. just that's it's the it's the blanket of Linus, you know, it's that it's just something you need. Everyone's got it. I mean. I'm still not the most socially active person in the world, but, you know, I've learned to keep it together a little bit more. But, yeah, it's like I, one of the many reasons I love comics is that, you know, like I said, it just it brings it keeps helps me keep everything together. And just let's talk about boobs and explosions. We need to get back on track. <sighs> OK, well. I think we pretty much covered all the major things about uh, you know where we're coming from in the in the in, with our love with comic books. I mean we you know this. I think we got an episode here, so uh, be sure to come in next time. We'll do this as a weekly thing. You know, talk about uh, comics that are coming up, and then have a discussion. And if you want to come on, just uh, contact us. Uh, you know, check the show notes for contact details, and uh, we'll see what we can do about coming getting you on the show. That sounds like a good idea. Now, I do want, like I said before, I do want to pimp out, if I may, the two episode ideas that I suggested to Ben 
uh, we were talking off air the other day is one was the 90s redesign episode where we look at the costumes yes and the other one uh like and i know i spoke to ben about this off air we're gonna do an episode about malibu comics slash ultraverse comics and the disparity between those two eras and it's the same bloody company but there is a grand canyon between the quality of some of that stuff. I don't know. Is, what, have, what have you got for some ideas, Ben, that you want to do? Mm. Those are, that's the, well, that's the big one that's, uh, let's see here. I want to do Watchmen is Overrated. I want to do. Uh... See, that one we're going to have an interesting conversation. Not that I'm like a diehard Watchmen fanboy. But I want to hear, and certainly we'll do the episode, I will hear your reasons why you think it's overrated. Like, I think it's a great comic, but I'm not bending over a couch for Alan Moore. <laughs> Lots you of know. people call it the Bible and stuff like that. It's, 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 not uh, beca- it's not because Watchmen's a bad comic. It's because people have hyped it up to be something more than what it is, and to something that's, that's, that's basically doctrine and scripture, and you cannot challenge it. Mm-hmm. And then, so, okay, so we got Watchmen's overrated. Uh, I know we talked, we got to talk at least, I I know it it would almost be an animation aficionados crossover episode. We could maybe get uh, Neil, TV's Mr. Neil on for uh, do something about the Brave and the Bold. Fucking Oswald. Oh, God. Uh, We we will speak about that on that episode, but we will not not invite Mike Blanchard because we'll never get anything done. (laughs) Fucking Oswald. And uh, what else was there? Uh, I had a third one. I don't know, maybe like just licensed comics. You know, the good, the bad, the ugly we could talk about. Mm. I don't know, is there anything else you can think of or are you just kind of fixating on the Watchmen right now? I think that's. I think we should just go with what we have right now and see where it goes. All right. All no, right. I think, think we're in a good place. All right, and uh, we'll see you next time. Later.